from Silicon Valley, California. This is Fresh Dialogues. I'm here at Scottish Development International in Glasgow by the River Clyde with Paul O'Brien, Senior Executive with Scottish Development International, the renewable energy development sector. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure. So what I want to do today is talk about some of the projects that have been going on in the renewable energy sector and where Scotland is taking the lead. Would you like to start with the most prominent project? Well, your, your visit's quite timely. On Monday, the Crown Estates, um, which is a quasi-government body that own the seabed around the UK, announced 10 new sites in Scotland for offshore wind. We've got some of the, the deeper water around the UK is in Scotland. So we have struggled in the past because of that to attract development in offshore wind. But since uh, almost 18 months ago, on the completion of the Beatrice Offshore Wind Demonstrator Project, which basically showed how to um, put wind turbines, very large wind turbines, uh, 5 megawatt wind turbines, the largest so far deployed offshore in the world, uh, into deep water, and that's, that's the real key. Um, overcoming the water depth issue has right. opened and, up. And how far, how far offshore are these turbines? Uh, just over 12 miles and in 45 metres of water. probably have to say that up until that point, 20, 23 metres was the deepest water that anybody had put turbines, offshore turbines in. So what happened there was the deployment of oil and gas technology for the first time ever to the wind industry. So they used a jacket structure which anybody that knows the oil and gas industry is um, very, very common for rigs and offshore platforms. They use that technology to overcome the water depth issue. Right. And what were the push factors that made them want to look offshore? I mean, is it purely the aesthetics issue of people objecting to things, to these huge wind turbines on land or just offshore? What was the issue that made them go so far out? Well, yes, visual intrusion is one of the main issues. Uh, in fact, there is quite a, a big case still going on in the States with the Cape Wind project mm-hmm. um, on that very issue. So we were very interested in research that would take that out of the... and also to open up more waters for the development of wind. Uh, wind projects take up a lot of seascape. Um, so the more ski- seascape that you can make available... Uh, the more projects you could possibly add to your portfolio. So by overcoming the water depth issue, we've opened up a hell of a lot more of the North Sea to development. But to answer your question about the driver, the two companies who drove that particular project, one of them, Scottish and Southern Energy, is a utility. But the other one, interestingly enough, was Talisman Energy, an oil and gas company. They have the Alpha, the Beatrice Alpha platform itself, So they were very interested to see if they could power that facility using wind turbines. So it was a marriage of the utility and the oil and gas experience which actually delivered the project. And is it actually producing energy at this time? Yes, uh, both wind turbines are completely operational. Uh, They are made by Repower, which is a German company, basically because they offered the largest wind turbine at that particular time. 
So Scotland is basically contributing its natural assets. But tell me about the technology. What Scottish technology is involved in this project or in other projects? Basically here, it's, it's the application of almost 30 to 40 years in the offshore industry and the know-how into how to build things on the seabed offshore. So all of that experience and technology has been brought to bear to the offshore wind market. And the Scottish know-how in putting the substructures on the seabed, which really made that whole project. And has it been a purely private sector project then, or has it required public input? Well, the, the public sector had a big part to play. As you can imagine, doing something like this for the first time was very expensive. Uh, so to overcome uh, some of the capital costs, government money was made available. So the Scottish government supported the project, as did the European Union, and even the UK government supplied funds. But uh, the bulk of the project was paid for by Scottish and Southern and Talisman Energy. What percentage? Uh, more than They had to find more than 60% of the project costs. But it meant that the public sector delivered about roughly between... The various uh, funders, about 40% of the costs. Right, and are they going to get a return on their investment? How is this investment by the public sector going to be leveraged to bring more money back to Scotland? Well, of course, the interest for us in the economic development side is proving technology that enables further development. Mm -hmm. So by proving that you could put wind turbines in deep water, it meant that more of our seascape in Scotland and the rest of the UK included as well is made available, but not just in Scotland. This technology is exportable worldwide. Um, the US will face similar problems as they move further out. And as Cape Wind experience in Nantucket Sound has already shown, there's a lot of resistance to visual intrusion. Um, other projects that are coming forward in the States on the east, the northeast coast, are already talking about moving 12 miles offshore because they now believe the technology to put wind turbines in deep water is available. And as far as powering Scottish energy, is this project going to be replicated and you know return energy to Scotland? Yeah, 10 sites in Scotland will deliver uh, between 6.4 gigawatts of offshore wind power. Can you give us an idea of what kind of proportion that is of the Scottish market? It's, that is capable of delivering about 20% of Scotland's energy needs and electricity. And that is only the offshore wind projects. There is a further, um, what's called round three in the UK. There is a further two sites, very large sites in Scotland, which are also capable of adding a further four gigawatts of wind power to that total. So we're looking at a scenario of 10 to 12 gigawatts of offshore wind in Scotland by 2020. And that is capable of delivering 60 to 70% of the electricity needs in Scotland. That, that sounds a really impressive figure, but can you tell me from your point of view how feasible it is, how likely is it to actually happen by 2020? Well, the players that are actually being awarded these sites have a very good track record in this area. So Scottish and Southern Energy, through their development company, Airtricity, have a number of the sites, four of them in total. Uh, Scottish Power is also involved, as are the overseas companies Dong, and uh, there's a number of other developers involved.
Sea uh, Energy Renewables, which is an Aberdeen-based company, which has actually grown out of the Beatrice project. Uh, the people who were involved from Talisman Energy and Scottish and Southern Energy have actually left both companies and formed a new company to develop two of these offshore sites. And they have partnered with uh, two German companies, RWE and E.ON, are, are both involved. Uh, so th there's no doubt that these projects will be developed because of the scale of the utilities that are involved. Uh, they have the access to the, the funds because they'll fund it themselves. So to a certain extent, the credit crunch, while it has an effect, will not affect these giants of the industry within Europe. Uh, so hopefully the renewables industry and the offshore wind industry in particular will not suffer the same kind of effects that might be seen elsewhere when there is more smaller independent power producers involved who will find it difficult to get access to the credit. And can you talk about, Paul, can you talk about the legislative side of things? I'm living in California now and the government there are passing mandates and saying we need to have so much percent renewable energy by certain dates. What, what is pushing it from legislative side in Scotland? Uh, Scotland has um, already decided that they would increase the, the UK target uh, originally was 10% from renewables. This is electricity, of course, 10% from renewables by 2010. Uh, the Scottish government decided that um, they would go for a higher target. So they went for 31% by 2011. Uh, we're very close to achieving that already. So the Scottish government target of 2020 target uh, will be 50%. At the minute, uh, the Scottish government will probably look to rethink that on the basis of this announcement this week. Because 6.4 gigawatts of offshore wind, providing it can be delivered by 2020, will take us considerably over the 50% target. Tell me about the Saltar Prize, which I understand is an international prize. The Saltire Prize is a 10 million prize. And, and basically, the Scottish Government have decided that, again, to accelerate the market and accelerate the industry, that they would offer um, a very uh, substantial amount of money to attract to Scotland device developers from all over the world and to test those devices in Scotland. Because basically, the prize is that you have to do this in Scottish waters, produce the electricity and basically put it into the Scottish grid. So that's what the prize is about. Uh, 100 uh, gigawatt hours over two years, over any two-year period, over a five-year period. So that's the challenge. So the company that does that stands to get 10 million of their investment back. But it's not so much about the money. It's about the kudos of winning the prize. Uh, the recognition from the global marine energy industry by winning the prize, um, will really be saying to all of their peers that they are the best technology. And of course, it will also mean that they are potentially the closest to full commercial viability. Right. And that's really what it's all about. So uh, what, is the what is the cut-off for entry on that? It opened for entry from December last year. Uh, we will keep it open probably for the next two years. Uh, so registrations are welcome from all over the world. And... Uh, the last time I checked, we had over uh, 70 entries so far. 
Another thing I wanted to ask about is server farms. I was through in Edinburgh yesterday, I was reading about the server farm in Lockerbie, Scotland. The, the fact that Google and a lot of these big IT companies are spending a fortune cooling their server buildings. And what they're doing, I understand, is trying to leverage our cool climate and how operating these server buildings here would be a lot lower cost. So can you tell me about that and, and the opportunities and um, where you think that's going to lead? Yes, we're very aware that as the capacity power, as we move into different applications for the World Wide Web and everybody's uh, wanting um, services on demand, the Computing power has to increase dramatically. Introduction of uh, technologies like blade servers into the server farms has increased the electrical demand on these systems, but it's also increased the heat output. Uh, so a lot of companies are beginning to see that there is a big financial drain on their, particularly when energy cost is very high. So not just energy cost of the electricity consumed, but also the energy cost of having to cool the server farm. The advantage of having servers actually sited in one, a cool country, uh, such as Scotland, we have tremendous weather here, which is mostly cold all the time. Uh, so even um, temperature differences of a couple of degrees in the ambient temperature means that that could save you money just by siting your server farm in Scotland. Uh, the next element that you can begin to look at is it then makes sense to look at using uh, renewable energy sources to actually power uh, these systems, which then to a certain extent divorce you from the fluctuations within the power market, the price of power. If you have a contract with a local producer of renewable energy, then you can more or less fix your costs and know in advance what they're going to be, which is very attractive to the accountants, etc., that have to actually, or the companies that pay these um, server farms. And so, so what stage are they at with the Lockerbie plan? Is it just an idea at this stage, or how far have they got? It's, it's further than an idea, because there already is generators in the area, i.e. wind farms that are already producing power to the grid. Uh, Morgan Stanley have looked at a very similar plan to have a server farm there, powered by tidal power. And of course it just so happens that they actually have invested in a tidal power company. So there's a nice tie-up for them there. At what stage is that project? Uh, at the moment, uh, again, uh, just on Monday, Crown Estates, at the same time they announced the sites for the, the wind power, they also announced sites in the Pentland Firth 38 of them for wave and tidal development. We believe, but it's not been confirmed, that um, Morgan Stanley are involved in bidding for those sites for their tidal power devices. Uh, so it's another very exciting project. Yes, and it will also, again, it's an area that if we can prove to the world that this can be done here, um, it could be the future that we will see more and more of such projects coming along because one of the other elements is that when you're on a coastal site like that, there is the opportunity to use seawater for the cooling as well. Ah, right. Again, using Scotland's natural resources. Yes. And so with the server farm idea, who's taking that idea to Google and the high-tech companies in Silicon Valley? 
How is the message getting to your potential customers? Well, what we're actually doing at the moment is basically working on a proposition, looking at what's happening in the south uh, near Lockerbie and what Morgan Stanley are proposing on the Pentland Firth and taking those ideas on board and that becomes part of our sales pitch to companies who need to expand and build data centres and server farms. So there's a lot of synergy there if we can just come up with a mechanism that makes that work. Sounds a very exciting proposition. Well, Paul, I really appreciate you taking the time for talking to me on Fresh Dialogues. It's been really an energetic and stimulating discussion. You are a font of knowledge. Thank you for listening to Fresh Dialogues. This is Alison Van Diggelen, with special thanks to Tom Kromkowski and Carol Pecora for technical support, and Kevin McLeod, who wrote and produced our music. Music